Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Hold on. I want you to get the full tour. These mines date back to the age of the first Mandalore. According to ancient folklore, the mines were once a mythosaur lair. Mandalore the Great is said to have tamed the mythical beast. It is from these legends that the Skull Signet was adopted and became the symbol of our planet. This is it. This week, the story is about back before the songs were written. Is that what he said? This is the uh, episode we've been building up to for a long time because our boy Din Djarin has made his pilgrimage to Mandalore. And is it brand new information that he's in fact never been on Mandalore before? It's completely untreaded ground uh, for us, of course, and we bring back uh, another familiar Mandalorian face. But um, if if last week our, our biggest our biggest uh, Grogu observation was that he was kind of a sideliner, not at all the case this time. Pulled out all the Grogu stops, being a badass, being a kid, being a cutie. This episode was an absolute banger, no? In every way. I absolutely loved it start to finish. And really, I can compliment every single facet of it. There was nothing that came short. And in fact, every element, in my opinion, was a home run. Um, like, it wasn't like the best episode of the series, but it was just so fun and thorough and enjoyable start to finish. And um fulfilling maybe that's the best word to describe it it really um told us a lot but at the same time piqued our interest even more yeah yeah and it reminds you also that this at its heart is a show about mando getting in scrapes and needing to be rescued Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a hero he is so often put in a cage and put on a blood transfusion and in need of immediate rescue from somebody else more capable than he (laughs) Yeah, he really is the least competent hero in all of Star Wars by a a considerable margin. Uh, I think they really leaned into the Boba Fett clumsily falling into the Sarlacc pit, maybe a little hard on Din being so goddamn clumsy. Yeah. But I mean, he set the tone with the Mudhorn and Grogu needing to step in to help him there. Uh, And we're just kind of rolling forward with that. Um, The no better moment than... And this is something that not everybody noticed. And I, I will admit the first time I watched it, I, I didn't notice. And so I'm curious to know your take. What was, in your opinion, the silliest thing Din did in the entire episode? Uh, The silliest thing. Or just the most like, oh, Din. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I mean, wielding the Darksaber, which we'll get to, is like not that deft. Um, lifting up his helmet to like eat the soup was kind of odd. I, I'm not, not. I'm not coming up with what you want me to say. Uh, it is at the end now. Did you think he got pulled under? Yes, it seemed that way. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. But then the first time I watched it, I was confused because I was like, wait a minute, that mythosaur didn't pull him under. No, it did not. So I watched it back. He just walks off a fucking ledge. Yeah, and he's wearing nothing but metal, and so it just yeah, sucked and walks him down. off a cliff. Oh man, yeah, and like, again, I guess on, I never dude. thought about it. Like, if you don't think to like ignite your jetpack, you can't swim in Mandalorian armor. No, 
<laughs> he just walks off a cliff wearing Vestra and sinks to the bottom. That, well, that's interesting. That already covers what I was going to ask you towards the end of the podcast, which is what on earth sucked him down? Some kind of yeah. weird like riptide or something. But yeah, I mean, he gets rescued a bunch of different ways by a bunch of different people. Uh, so let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Uh, we have a check-in with Pelly. So nice yes. to see her. It's not just Tatooine. It's Bunta Eve. Mm, which is has really to, has to be exciting for you. It's Super Bowl Sunday on Tatooine. Yeah, it really like puts a, a pinpoint in the calendar. Now I don't remember if because the days are just blending together. If uh, we had the discussion around the, I think we did ch chat last time about the the timeline. the timeline where we are in the timeline. So we know now officially we can pinpoint that this is exactly forty three or forty four years after the Phantom Menace. Okay. Because based off everything that's said, it would need to be like seven or eight years after Return of the Jedi, approximately. But we now know the calendar point, and we also know the calendar point of the very start of the Skywalker timeline. Yeah. Um, so now we can know it's exactly either 43 or 44, or maybe, maybe 45, but that would mean that John Favreau wasn't fully telling the truth this week, but probably 43 or 44, which is uh, kind of cool to like be able to line up your calendars with like the full Star Wars timeline and be able to have it just be kind of a background thing that, yeah, on Tatooine, that's going to be a big deal. And because we're spending so much goddamn time there, it makes sense just by pure luck that one of the days that we're spending there happens to be Booty Eve. Uh, and I also like that it wasn't too prolonged. Just a quick stop. Yeah. Uh, say hello to a friend. Uh, remind you that she got her tooth knocked out and um, we're changing up the, the droid of the week. Well, that's the thing. A couple of fun things happen. Yes, we get the wide shot and there's like fireworks and there's a little straight street racing happening because everybody's like in the spirit of the event. And my favorite example of people being in the spirit of the event is Jawas wearing essentially Mardi Gras beads. They're wearing like streamers around their necks. <laughs> I didn't even clue into that element. Oh, yeah. The Jawa, it was good to see the Jawas. They're very like, always as, as you hope them to be. And, um, oh, very significant moment. Uh, as Peli, uh, greets her friends arriving in her docking bay, Grogu leaps into her arms and it's baby's first words. No, it's not. It's Grogu, but just... Grogu babble. We haven't had that before. Grogu babble. We've had tons of Grogu babble to this extent. I don't think it really felt this different. Was... This was his chattiest episode. I will completely admit there, but there is no way he says Pelly in any way, no, shape, no, or form. No, I agree. I agree with that for sure. But it's it, he seems to be slowly. Yes. I mean, he's still a baby. He's still going to be cute, but he seems to be slowly growing. Yeah, this this episode really develops Grogu in yeah. a wonderful way. It's it's very believable. He's jumping all over the place, frog like and Yoda like, or like a um, leaping. Lumper or Lemper or what was it? Um, yeah, yeah. I forget what it was, but right. whatever she said. Um, but yeah, he's he's jumping around, uh, very Attack of the Clones Yoda-like, which is great. And he leads his and, own rescue mission. Yeah, and he's able to like navigate his pram appropriately, uh, but he's still a scared little kid, and he's pointing to the screen. like he, He's doing a lot of things that show that he's feeling more comfortable, even if he's scared, he's... He's growing up a little bit more and he's willing to try new things and, and that's necessary or else it'll get a little, it, it could get a little stale. Yeah. So uh, Peli is kind of overbooked because it's Bunta and <laughs> Dan, of course, has arrived in hopes of getting a droid that's perfect for his mission. He needs something that can 
be his bodyguard when he goes to Mandalore. He needs it to be able to like check the air to go spelunking, explore yeah, caves. It needs to specifically be rated for spelunking. And she's like, um, I don't have one of those at the moment, as you might imagine. Yeah. And so she kind of uh, cons him, not cons him, but she convinces him to take R5 off her hands. Uh, in so doing, kind of admitting that he's he's wimpy and undercapable. Din isn't thrilled with this uh, particular um, purchase, but he'll take what he can get. And just to be clear, I think we've said this before, but that is the same R5 from A New Hope. That's right. This droid has been <clears throat> reluctantly purchased multiple times by important characters in really, Star Wars. Really, really important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's, he's and always one close instance, to the Force. Denied his adventure, and in this instance taken on a new adventure and wants to deny it uh yeah. it really aligns well with the kind of like a certain point of view story where like you get to learn about like him kind of intentionally short-circuiting himself and chatting with r2 and little bits like that and so it goes to show that he's a little bit of a wimp just trying to get out of adventures and like r2 was like i'll do it i'll go in your place kind of i love that so i love the cowardly droid trope i think it's always fun yeah, but it's also not one that they've really leaned too hard into. He is his own character, and that's nice. He's not, like, swearing at us like every other astromech mm. droid um, or being, like, overly chipper and cute. Like, it, it's kind of chipper, cute, sweary, like, whether it's Chopper, R2, um, BBA, like, little bits there. And then there's the kind of overly proper uh, droids with all the protocol droids because we get so much exposure to them. But this is this was nice to kind of see someone who is a little bit a little bit in the B two emo realm. I thought R five looked really good too. There was like a shot of him on Mandalore, like before he rolls into the cave, where he just looks really fresh. Yeah, they clean him up in that oil bath big time. He looks better than he has in like I don't know twelve years. So uh, Pelly rigs him up to the N1 and uh, Mando goes to Mandalore. He kind of, he's doing a little bit of like uh, uh, astral navigation training with Grogu. He's teaching him like what moons are called and like where we're going. And here's, see this one here? That's where we visited Bo-Katan recently. It's just very cute, like dad kid energy. And then, it is, but it comes into play later too, which is great. So it's like checks both boxes. Oh, this episode is full of, well laid um uh teases and just like well crafted plot like uh, i mean the dark saber spilling out of the cage becomes chekhov's dark saber a little bit later and and like when when bokatan arrives in the caves uh and she defeats those uh hg wells cave people she says if, she says if they survived i wonder what else has and of course that's definitely teasing the mythosaur at the end um so uh Din reveals that he hasn't been here before. Uh, they get down uh, on... weird. Do we not know that before? That seemed like new information to me. I mean, it's something that... He it, grew up it right there. Yeah, I think it is new information. He did grow up right there, and it has only been like turned to glass for a, a decade, a little yeah. over a decade, maybe. And so when the, when the series started, it was turned to glass like seven, six years ago. It's not like, like, why weren't you there as like a 29-year-old or 30-year-old man? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense why you wouldn't just go to the next door planet when you're this much of a religious zealot. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't seem to really align. Um, but anyway, that's something that's easy enough to look past. And then we may find out a little bit more that um, the armor has been trying to keep everyone 
believing one thing when clearly that's not the truth. Maybe that's the intentional plan is to get everyone away from Mandalore for some other reason that we don't know. Uh, I certainly won't question Dave Filoni's uh, logic. So they land near the city of Sindarin. Is that what it's called? Sindari. Sindari. Uh, we send uh, R5 into the caves to kind of get a lay of the land. They lose communication with him very quickly, and Mando has to get out. He has to put the air pressurizer on his helmet in case the air's not clean. He follows him into the cave. Immediately, he meets some some of those cave people. What are they called? Alamites. Fights them off. Draws the dark saber because he loses his blaster pretty quickly. And then we're reminded uh, of what I forgot, which is that he doesn't know how to wield it. It's too heavy for him. He doesn't let it guide him. He is not very good at the dark saber. But he does he does win that battle and he he finds R5 kind of toppled over in a <laughs> like by a little stalagmite. Yeah, which is also reminiscent of R2 um getting knocked over by the the sand the Tuscans. Yeah. In uh, oh no, sorry. Those guys sucked. The sand people in <laughs> uh, a new hope. Um but yeah, and then so the they kind of ad- advance on their on their cave adventure and, and well they go and grab Grogu first. Yeah, because they um, check and the air is actually fine. And I, I was a little confused about that because maybe I just misremembered what Bo Katan had said. He was surprised to learn that the planet is is not poisoned. That hmm. like it might be in ruins, but Bo Katan said it's it's not poisoned. Why did he think that it it would be toxic? So Mandalore used to be lush and green, but that it, it like he's right in saying that that wasn't like a decade ago. It was lush and green a long time ago. And then they blew themselves up mm. a bunch of times Civil over. Civil war, yeah. Yeah, and we were in fights with the Jedi and a bunch of other things. And then that's why they built the dome cities because they needed to kind of restore life in a different way. And the rest of the planet was basically like sand mm. and like salt and whatnot. And so this kind of mineral landscape with these like clusters of people, the empire just bombed the entire surface. And so blew up all these like pockets of people that were easy targets. And in the same time, these kind of like lasers or plasma or whatever they described it as they used a specific word in the other episode, um, crystallized all that sand and just turned it into like this big, like Jade mess that's there. And so that kind of just, transformation i guess they believed created some sort of toxicity in the air okay uh that allowed it to be completely inhabitable which is just not true it's not true although it's not too fancy so they jump off the platform really cool jetpack moment and grogu's mm. super cute because he can just like fully fly altitude is is has no limits apparently in his egg I thought about that too which is a little bit odd it's like is he just able to slow his descent um, but then later on, he just goes right up after. Uh, yeah. to, so that one doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense because that's like a super pram. And are they just kind of like going wherever? Like, I guess he sa- he says, here's the city center. That's where Bo-Katan says we need to go to get to the mm. living waters. But he's kind of just winging it. Like, he doesn't know where he's anything lost. is. There's no street yeah. signs. He starts walking through a uh, like a little tunnel. And there's like alligator type creatures like like absolutely your run of the mill noir city critters like rats and gators crawling through the through the mm-hmm. the gutters um nothing too threatening but then he spots a traditional mandalorian mask in the dirt 
I knew you'd love that. You could see just the T, just like the cross lens of this old beat up uh, Beskar helmet. He pulls it out of the dirt and he just kind of looks at it and it represents the fall of Mandalore as it once was. Like it's lost all its glory. But then you kind of realize what Bo-Katan says later, which is that this is a tomb. It's not just a shipwreck. Yeah, well, and that's kind of the thing I really liked about it was because it was so thematic. It was the knight going to the dragon's lair mm. and seeing all of the soldiers fallen before who couldn't get the job done. Yes. And so it's just it's just further cementing Din as like the chosen one in this specific story and that he's on this mission. Or is it Bo-Katan because Din is false and Bo-Katan is the one who's able to rise to the occasion. And as we can see, is more in unison with the dark saver than Din is at all. Or will it be Grogu? And all this thing is kind of leading up to in the end, we see the dragon that we're all talking about. Yeah. Um, and so it, it will be interesting to this new direction that the show takes which is probably the direction that we all thought the show was going to take before it even started because we didn't even know grogu was going to be a thing so we just assumed it was going to be about like reclaiming mandalore in yeah. some capacity which i mean it probably is in some capacity now, yeah. but they've taken a detour to get there by mm. uh, endearing us to the character um so anyway uh him focusing on that as a as a kind of tragic symbol takes this, uh, distracts him enough that he is able to be just devoured out of, out of nowhere by this massive robotic like dune crawler thing. Just in a split yeah. second, it just bursts through the floor and scoops Mando up and takes him off to his little camp. So we got to talk about this guy, this weird General Grievous-like cockroach who has all these like different bodies with which he he moves around his space he's like a parasite or a bug but he's a survivor and also he maybe eats people or <laughs> i don't do we have any idea what this guy is so there are two things that i think about this and one that i've not heard anyone bring up um well one is just the everyone's assumption that this is so cool and disgusting yep uh it is creepy the eye which is like really like dianoga like um and so that's like also being like pulled under sort of thing so that was all that's really trash cool. compactor yeah just like really harkening back to classic star wars imagery yep. but done in this really modern like weird prequely crab droid thing that also like you said i really love that he has like multiple skeletons that he uses yeah. and he kind of looks like grievous in one of them and he's got like one of grievous's little like electro staff sort of things he was so fucking creepy. He's kind of like a, in a hermit, great way. He's kind of like a hermit crab. Like when he detaches himself and we see him in his in his smallest form, like after he's defeated or he's disarmed one time, he kind of like breaks off like maybe his hermit crab shell has cracked and he has to go find the bigger better one. Uh best comparison I've heard. Yeah, that's a really great way of describing him. Um and yeah, because he it's, it's very crab like, but he does have like this ability to shift and he's clearly like you said, a survivor. Um, the thing that I think this is leading up to is this is specifically foreshadowing for the reminder of Darth Maul. Yeah. Um, people who didn't see live action, sorry, people who didn't watch the animated shows and are just focused on live action don't really know how Darth Maul came back. He was just in the end of Solo for some ridiculous reason. Yeah. But this show is trying to raise the stakes constantly and constantly and constantly. Well, what does the armorer have? She has horns on her helmet. 
who ruled Mandalore during a time period and brought them back to the dark ages of warrior, like ridiculous mentalities, Darth Maul. Mm. And so how did Darth Maul come back into the fold when he survived in the bottom of a destroyed trash planet and lived off of garbage and became this weird robotic half human monster um, because he was a survivor. Very, very similar. The scenes are eerily similar. This layer that this thing had and the layer that Maul had when he was just surviving on like garbage. And also initially before he got his normal legs had crab legs. Yeah. So it makes complete sense to me that this is just leading up to doing an episode that's either told in the past or doing a really long flashback to highlight the impact Darth Maul had wow. in creating this subsect of Children of the Watch. So yeah. I believe we're going to learn this season that Darth Maul is actually who the armorer believes was the most recent true Mandalorian and that Din has been following the path of Darth Maul this entire time and needs to realize, oh shit, what is the way? So right. I think this is all leading up to that. That's brilliant. And and they spent a fair amount of time in this episode reminding us of what Mandalore used to be, but from another perspective, from like mm -hmm, the exactly. good layman uh, Bo-Katan perspective. Um, and so we'll see it in the other way as well. I mean, since you mentioned it, maybe this is a reach, but like, is it so out of the question that we could find out at some point that the armorer is a Zibrak? Is that what the species is called? Like, is that is her, Zabrak? The, the horns on her helmet? Like, could they be... Um, an allusion to her other former culture? Um, I don't think so. Uh, just in the sense that all, all, like all the Mandalorians that chose to follow Maul like would install those kind of horns. And oh. so there doesn't she doesn't need to be a Zabrak. And Zabraks were generally from Iridonia, but a su small subsect were from Dathomir, and that's with the Knight Brothers, and that's what Maul was. Yeah. Um, but but maybe uh, there's no reason to believe like, she might be someone who's parading herself. She might not even be a Mandalorian. That could be a good theory, and that. I'm not taking off my helmet, so you don't know. I wear these big giant gloves, so you don't know. This entire time, I've been carrying on Maul's legacy, and none of you knew. Yeah. So, like, you're very possible. I do believe there's a higher chance of her being um, villainous and Bo being on the good side than maybe I would have thought even an episode ago. Or, like, wouldn't it be, like, a really cool twist if done well? We find out that the armorer is someone we already know like living a double life. They don't do that in Star Wars, the the double agent thing. But I mean, they do the double agent thing again and again. But like the jokes, I was this all along, like pulls off the mask reveals. That could be really interesting. It's one that people have kind of thought about and posited different ideas, but I've never heard one that really made sense. But at the same time, I kind of want that. Yeah. I think it would be really good. I don't know who it could be. Um, people have brought up like kind of like sub characters who were part of like one or two rebels ep episodes who had like some Mandalorian status. That doesn't seem to really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I, I don't know who that could be, but it would be interesting. Um, that's kind of why I was thinking Maul in the sense that would be someone at least was a servant of them, similar to the kind of way we got that twist with Kira um, showing just how fucked up she really is now and how evil she is. So maybe that'll be how they do it. But um It'll be. I, I can't imagine we'll Could see their Kira? face until she dies. Oh fuck, that'd be interesting. That would be wild. I mean, there's a, there's a mall connection there. 
I don't know. If yeah, they, there I is. If the I mean, that would be. Right, I, I I don't know how they'd make that make sense, but they would need a full backstory to do it, and oh, yeah. I'm sure they could pull that off. Yeah, definitely. Would suck for Emily Swallow, who plays the armorer, to not get to be a face, though. <laughs> That's true, and she is very very good in this role. Um, yes. Important, by the way, uh, to mention that though Din got uh, imprisoned by this guy, Grogu did not, and he's kind of like lurking in the shadows, looking very worriedly at his dad, uh, trying to figure out like what he's going to do, and so. While Creepy Crab Beast is like tinkering with something over in the other corner, Grogu climbs out of his egg, wanders down into the lair, and tries to use the force to like get Din out of the cage. But of mm. course, that's going to cause a racket, and it does, and it gets the attention of Crab Monster, and uh, he starts firing at Grogu, who evades um, attack, but uh, Mando has an opportunity to say to Grogu, get Bo-Katan, and that's when Grogu, it's the friggin' cutest thing. He hops in his egg, and he just, like, hightails it out of there, and he turns on his little light, and he speeds out of the caves, and there's, like, a crocodile that tries to get him, but he doesn't, and, uh, and he's able to get back to the N1. I just expected to see like the camera pan around and you're behind him and then the HUD comes up and then gold coins are right in front of you as you have to speed <laughs> through the cave and collect them all and yeah. zoom up and they're all full vertical. It just it was so video gamey. I loved it. And I just love how silly Grogu looks flipping in and out of it. It's great. Able to um, he does face one more of those cave people, but we get a moment from that trailer. He just like knocks him out of the way. Get out of my way. I, my dad needs me. That's he right. Determined look. Signals to R5 that you got to take us back to uh, to Bo-Katan so we can get her help. And Bo-Katan is such an interesting uh, character because we spent a lot of time last week talking about how ultimately she's going to be a foil and maybe even an antagonist for, for Din. And indeed, they are aware that they're setting that up. Because the first thing she says in this episode after her droid announces that the N1 is coming in, she looks at the window and sees the N1, and what does she say? Um, I'm going to get rid of him once and for all. Let's get rid of him that. once and for all. It feels yeah. really sinister. It feels yeah. like, are you going to shoot him out of the sky? Like, you're so no, mad. And so she marches out onto the, the landing pad. She starts talking to him, not realizing that Din's not there. Cockpit opens up, and she goes into rescue mode, and she is a patient hero for the rest of the episode. Yeah, she's awesome the rest of the episode. Yeah. Katie Sackhoff does a fantastic job in giving you like all kinds of emotions as she's like going through Mandalorian space. You can but, see like, this kind of like weird little smirk on her face. Good guy energy too. She is nothing but like on your side in this episode. Yeah, and she kicks so much ass oh. and has like great little like quips with Grogu uh, and chatting about like, oh, you know, I used to like work with the Jedi. Like we had a good relationship. <laughs> you know, you must be pretty strong in the force. You found me after all. Yeah. Uh, like it's great. Uh, and then like the little bits of like pog soup and everything. Like overall, um, you get to learn about the characters. She talks about uh, her parents. Uh, you get to really see why she's cynical after all this time because of being so wrapped up in it and then ultimately we're probably going to learn more about her sister mm. who was obi-wan's love interest and um was a massive pacifist who kind of led mandalore into a position where they could be pretty easily taken over um and maul killed her and took her place um so it's something whereas i'm sure we'll learn more about how her sister was the favored child and all of the things that and why she decided to become a little bit more extreme herself in her youth. But she does defend her dad. Like later when she's yeah. talking about her past with with 
walked in. She's speaking of him very reverentially. He says, I would have liked to meet your dad. He sounds like an interesting man. And she corrects him almost. She's like, he was a great man. And mm. so if there's any resentment over the imbalance in the dynamic between her and Satine, she is at least trying very hard to uh, to honor that memory and not be bitter about it, which yeah. also no, shows and, a lot of character. Yeah, and it's interesting because she does, like you said, she doesn't seem bitter about her family and she still loves the Mandalorians. And she's like, even though she's annoyed with Din, she jumps into hero mode and rescue mode right away. And so you do know that she, she cares. Uh, and so it's it's interesting to see how much she resents the culture um, that she also wants to lead. It's like this kind of weird like pull. I guess it's a matter of, and, and we got to, to see her bond with the Darksaber and how she, I led them for a brief period. Yeah. And it, 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 it comes with, uh, she seemed bitter in the first episode. This episode, it's more like, a longing and you get to see the kind of what bitter has been covering up. It's really good character development. And I still sort of think that it's going to come to blows between her and Din by the end of this season, but that's going to be all the more emotional because what star Wars has been trying to depict for its entire existence, sometimes successfully, sometimes less. So is a character breaking bad is a character who you really love and know is good in their heart, ultimately being your enemy. And sometimes they, they don't, do that transition very effectively. But I think they might be able to pull it off with Bo-Katan. Clearly, they're they're laying the groundwork for her to be all different shades. Yeah, well, she she was like part of a, a murderous cult as like a 19-year-old mm -hmm. and uh, wanted to return Mandalore to its old ways. And so that's kind of the reason why she knows that Din's cult-like behavior is particularly dangerous and um, wrong. And so maybe that's what makes her cross that line that you were saying into being also a villain in our eyes because she's so a, a kind of ashamed of the way she used to be and sees all of these other uh, kind of this children of the watch as behaving like the death watch, yeah. which she was part of, i.e. Right. children of the watch. Din is following the mistakes of her. And so maybe that's kind of part of the resentment and, and frustration. Yeah, that would be cool because that would make it both um, a villain arc and a redemption arc at the same time, which is like good, yeah. good uh, character nuance. Uh, so she fights off some more cave people, gets to show off how much of a badass she really is. She arrives at the lair where Din is essentially being spit roasted. Um, <laughs> she just- And uh, drained. and Right, and drained of blood. And she just opens fire, uh, starts going off. Um, she's not doing great, except then she notices the dark saber on the cave floor and essentially pulls a force maneuver. Like what do Jedi's do when there's a lightsaber over there? They just pull it towards them with the force, but she uses a little grappling hook thing in her hand, which is classic Star Wars imagery is great. And um, you see how a person is meant to wield the dark, the dark saber. She knows exactly how to handle this thing. It's lighter than air in her hands. And she takes down that, that first form of the crab beast. Like it's nothing. Oh, it's just so impressive. And I really, really love when, it's just screaming at you. Use the force. Oh, you can't. Right. Oh, but that's how you guys work. You've got the tools. Mm -hmm. You're you're just a bunch of Batman. Like <laughs> so it's like it was really great to see that alternative and then but still being a lightsaber and using it so uh, effectively and um although the the little crab creepy thing um still survives for a brief period of time, 
um, is able to be kind of squashed out and killed afterwards and sliced up the, I think, yeah, sliced up the center, which was, yeah, which was quite Din cool. is really weak. And she's like, I can't understand you. What are you saying? And he eventually manages to say behind you. And of course, mm. the, the, he's turned back into like giant skeleton. And so she disarms him against great action. Um, and then they have like a little, little camp out. She sets up a little fire, makes him some pog soup. He naps it off. Uh, and then they have a little chit chat. I didn't understand the, the joke that she makes when she serves him pog soup. And he's like, I've never had this before. And she says something like, imagine the irony. Why is it ironic that Din would have never eaten this food? Because it's, she mentions after that you like, this is what we're all raised on. Oh. And his whole mission is just about trying to prove that he's Heritage a Mandalorian. And origins, yeah. Yeah, like they just said, you're no longer a Mandalorian. And basically, like, no, yeah, I'm a Mandalorian. You, you've never had pog soup, dude. I see. Really saying you're a Mandalorian this entire time and you've never had pog soup? It's like you've never had craft dinner. <laughs> yeah, or like us being like, guys, I promise you, I'm Canadian. You've never had maple syrup. You are not Canadian. Sorry, man. Uh, and so whether he is rested up enough or not, Din stubbornly gets to his feet and he's like, okay, I'm off. And she's like, what are you talking about? We're not doing this. This is ridiculous. I honestly think it's adorable you believe in children's fairy tales, she says. But yeah. but get over it. There's nothing magic about the waters. And he's like, I got to do it. Sorry. And then she kind of gives in and she's like, well, fine. You're not going to find it on your own. Let me just take you there so you can see what I've been trying to tell you. Uh, and uh, they set off. This is what I'm talking about. Like, uh, Bo was so um, fed up and hostile last week. And this week, she's just completely patient. She's just like, okay, you're the boss. Let's just do this. And uh, I'm going to be, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to be your friend. And it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And may maybe it's because she's just back home. Maybe she's, part of it is that little smile we see when she breaks through the clouds that it's, it's her kind of breaking through the clouds and able to kind of have a little bit of a smile because there's a little bit of daylight that she can see. And it's it's back in Mandalore, got the dark saber in hand, able to be back in action, doing something for her people, saving somebody, doing something for a change as opposed to just sitting on her throne and moping. Yeah, um, well, and it, and it has to be emotional for her to be there and to see it like this, which Din says, like... I don't like when I drive by our childhood home and I see that they've put a fence up in the backyard. But like her whole her whole world has just been devastated everywhere she looks. Kingdom. It's what she remembers. And it's also, by the way, it's not, it's just like superficially and, and I don't want to say selfishly, but like uh, it is reminiscent of the lie that she was taught or at least what ultimately not ended up being true, which is that all of this would be hers and she would get to rule it and it would be... Uh, this beautiful, honorable life full of gifts, as she said, like that didn't end up happening. So she's that she is wayward. She is lost. And that explains why she's so hot and cold about yeah. Mando's. Well, yeah, because I think part of it's also this responsibility because she's talking about just like I ruled it for a brief time. It's brief because she was the last ruler. Mm -hmm. She was the one who like in the history books will write as an under the reign of Bo-Katan cries, uh, <laughs> the empire destroyed right. Mandalore for good. Right. She feels like a failure. Uh, the biggest failure ever. Um, and like got to like watch her sister die and all these things. And so, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this stacks up over the next few weeks. Like what, is, what is her next play? Is she after learning what we learned at the very end of the episode, does she become a bit of a believer again? Does this, what what's the new mission now that 
she maybe sees that it wasn't all smoke and mirrors and that really there was some truth that she was raised on and that she doesn't have necessarily as much of a reason to be cynical the way she thought. Just really quickly, you mentioned uh, Bo's sister, Satine, having been Obi-Wan's tragic love interest in in Rebels. I read on IMDb today... Clone Wars. In, oh, it's Clone Wars. I read on yeah. IMDb today that it was Satine who named Obi-Wan Ben, which I feel like I didn't know if it is in fact true because we talked in our Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes about how that name came to be or if it was going to be revealed in that series and it wasn't. Oh, crap. I think that is... I forget. That's from... I think it's a book okay. that confirms that. Um, I think it might have been one of the very recent books. Uh, it might have been, in fact, the one that came out like, right around the same time as Obi-Wan. Uh, it was like a like a young Obi-Wan book. Um yeah, I, I did rem- I do recall that being brought up, but it's, I don't think it's one of the books that I've read because um, I don't know a bunch of the context around it. But it was one of the earlier missions, and they were undercover as Jedi for a long time protecting mm-hmm. uh, Satine. So it makes sense that they would have maybe gone by different names. Uh, so ultimately, maybe she just jokingly in the first time was the one who, or is at least in some way responsible for him being named Ben, um, because it was under her protection. I don't don't really know. Of course, Ben Quadraneros is also at the Boon to Eve Classic 43 years ago, so. Probably the real reason why he was named Ben. I know it's it's a small thing, the Ben Kenobi thing. It's just kind of always struck me as this thing they could easily explain and they could explain it better obviously we know why he needed an alias but like why did he pick that one it's just always been something i wanted some explanation for um so uh, finish their walk down the the city center they arrive at the entrance to the mines to the waters um yep. and that's our mines and it is nothing fancy baby it is dark and dingy and gross and that's kind of what bo was trying to <laughs> trying to warn uh din of she gets down there and she's like hang on i want to give you the full tour and this is a little expository she just goes over to a plaque on the wall but that's fine it was good um yeah and she she talks about how like this is the spot that was the 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 lair of the legendary mythosaur which it said like the original mandalorian mandalore or whatever his name was the mandalore the mandalore uh tamed it and so their whole culture is built around that that particular fairy tale and that's Mm. why the skull signet is representative of their culture and she's like so this is the thing you care about go have a splash and then you'll see that the waters aren't magic and he takes off his scarf and nothing else and uh gravity sucks him down really far really far (laughs) yes and that makes complete sense and he's just laying there on the ground in the end and of course Bo, without even hesitating goes in after him uh, and then on the way up, we see a giant fucking mythosaur. <laughs> yeah. At what point under the water did you realize they were going to show us the mythosaur? As soon as Din went in the water. Yeah. I knew it was, it's, I knew it was it a mythosaur. It seemed like that. Yeah. And you yeah. are right. It is big, man. And it, and it yeah. looks like a dragon. It doesn't look like a lot of the giant Star Wars beasts we've seen before. It doesn't look like, it looks almost like a Tolkienian, like D&D yeah. type dragon. It looks like a Belrock. Uh, kind kind of. It's, um, I expected him to, and he still might look a little bit, I expect a little, little bit more dinosaur-y. I expected him to look a little bit like, you know, because I know he's Boba Fett's riding, not 
necessarily a, like not what became canonically a mythosaur. It looks like a brontosaurus in. It, yeah, it's yeah. not canonically a mythosaur, but I'm sure that was in part inspiration behind it. So I kind of wanted it to look a little like dinosaur with like the tusks, of course, to make it actually match the skull shape. Uh, but it looks like it's just going to be a giant dragon and they're going to go with like it's very, I think, legends look um, with that. I did hear that in Legends that there was one mythosaur skull that they built a small town in. Oh my god. <laughs> the skull. So mythosaurs can get quite freaking big. Okay. Um, I don't think I realized that they were a species. I thought he was one of a kind. That that he was the mythosaur. Uh not of not of my knowledge. Okay. No. Um but then again, there's not tons said about them in canon so maybe that's going to be what the case is now what i believed it to be was that it was more of like a well obviously sore so dinosaurs in that regard um but i kind of thought it was more like they lived long ago it's mythos because it's they're no longer around right and so that's why it's still surprised that like everybody thought they were extinct um also aligned with like nobody you can't go to mandalore there's nothing there well, like, but in fact it's it's been there the entire time one thing that somebody mentioned on a podcast that I feel like it just has gone whoosh right over me. While I've thought since episode one that the titular Mandalorian will end up being Grogu, um, I've also thought since episode one that Din would ride the Mythosaur because of um, the him riding the Blurgs in the first episode and Quill making fun of his inability to ride a friggin' Blurg when his species was supposed to tame the great mythosaur right and so those made sense but someone brought up the notion this week that we also have way more evidence of grogu taming giant beasts yep. and also way more capability with grogu than din doing anything at large scale so it maybe makes more sense that grogu is going to be the one to prove that he's the mandalorian by taming the mythosaur and that just seems like it's extremely possible and maybe maybe it'll be Bo, but i think it's probably going to be grogu or din i'm mm -hmm. thinking maybe leaning more towards grogu than i was before that could definitely be uh, also let's not forget we had uh boba fett uh tame and ride a rancor last yes, year yes but this is going to show you how small potatoes yeah. that is yeah you're right uh, or maybe in the end we'll get every angle of what it means to be a mandalorian a mandalorian by ancestral right and cloning a uh, mandalorian by uh foundling status mm -hmm. and a mandalorian by heritage. by heritage yeah and they all and oh and a mandalorian by um adoption yeah. uh, well that they're both din and din and grogu are foundlings yeah. in the same in the same way um but have them all take on the, the mythosaur in some kind of way to truly show what it means that there is no this is the way and so who knows how they'll actually approach it but that gets me excited that that's clearly going to be some big topic is it going to be what is resolved next episode is this going to be a few episodes will we see this in the season finale uh, what are your thoughts there do you think when do you think this is going to be um we're going to see the full mythosaur uh well i mean the episode ends right there and yeah. and so it's interesting that like it doesn't look hostile to have been awakened by this disruption in its waters, but presumably mm. it's pretty quiet down there almost all the time. Like the other cave people and the, the crab droids and the crocodiles or whatever, don't go anywhere near those waters because nothing comes back alive. But when we see its eye open 
in a classic dragon in the castle kind of way as Bo is rescuing uh, Din, it doesn't look angry to see her. And when she launches herself and then back up onto the shore, she kind of looks back in fear and also in, you know, she's just like genuinely uh, stunned that what she thought was a fairy tale is in fact true. But it's mm. not like there's any like rumbling in the caves or like ripples in the water beyond what they've created. Like there's no real sign that he's coming up now to play. And so maybe maybe they're going to get the F out of there and come back later. Or maybe the next week's episode is going to start exactly where we left off. Yeah, it, it could be either. The Mythosaur may never be hostile to Mando. Yeah. Like that, it might be one of those things where it's similar to Boba Fett, where it's brought up. And then in the right moment, we see our hero coming in with the gigantic mythosaur um, to take on some new foe that we're learning in the in the latter half of this uh, season. But uh, I, I'm, I am curious to know, I think they'll give us a few episodes with the mythosaur. It's too prominent in what Mandalorian culture is and what will be done in the show. I, I think it could be a, 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 a running uh, um point throughout the season well i also think it's worth mentioning that din was likely either uh disoriented or unconscious and probably didn't see the uh, the mythosaur and so it's likely i think that Bo is going to withhold that information from him good point i never even thought of that never even thought of that maybe that's what she's going to feel like is her dark saver that's her little way to oh yeah like that's that's the one thing she's got on him well not one thing she's got a lot of knowledge on him uh, <laughs> she doesn't want to but, lend any credence to the children of the watch she doesn't want to give them any more credibility yeah but it could get her people back yep. if she said that she discovered the mythosaur yeah um, so there could be some way that, or maybe she feels like she needs the dark saber to take on the mythosaur and that kind of like her needing to prove herself is where she goes too far, um, because she just needs the dark saber. Like I saw an interview with Katie Sackoff and she was hinting along the lines that like, Bo really wants that dark saber back. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my guess is this, the use here will have just wet her whistle, um, as opposed to just being a one-off i also think and we can laugh about how silly it is that din like got in the water with his heavy suit on and that's why he fell down like it is silly but i also think it's symbolic because the biggest visible difference between he and Bo is that she's willing to take her mask off and he's not because of their uh distinct creeds and while she probably would have sunk to the bottom too and couldn't swim in her heavy suit his taking off the, the cloth scarf and nothing else, determinedly walking into these waters, believing that they're magic and mm -hmm. that they'll absolve him, and they, in fact, don't do that, um, is reminiscent of, uh, it's symbolic of how he is kind of acting like a fool, that he's just like looking blindly, believing that the way as he sees it is going to save him when, in fact, it is imperiling him. Yep. Absolutely. And he had he been really awake and had his like his eyes open metaphorically, he would have been able to see the mythosaur. Mm -hmm. And so he wouldn't need to be uh, the this kind of false believer the same way. He could really have been like, you guys have pog soup, but I saw a mythosaur. So <laughs> I, in the end, I still win. 
but he didn't because, like you said, he just goes in blind, determined, so confident that it's just going to work. Uh, when just half an hour earlier, he realized, oh, Bo-Katan was right. It isn't cursed. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe consider it's not magic sewers either. So we're catching up with friends. Last week we saw Grief Karga. This week we saw uh, Pelimata. We've seen Bo-Katan a couple times. Who are we going to see next week? Do you think we'll see um, uh, Mayfeld this season? That would be nice. He went to the premiere, so there's a chance. Um, but they maybe, had a, a handful of people coming back for the premiere. So maybe that's Cobb not... Vanth, who had kind of a tense last sequence in Star Wars. I believe he's still alive. I think there's a, like a, maybe a 99% a chance he'll be in this season. It yeah. just seems like such a slam dunk that he and Din have a good little bromance going. Uh, last time we saw him, he was not doing so hot. And so we're <laughs> going to want to check in on that. Um, they'll want to be able to like pass it off similar to the way Pelly's got her missing tooth. Cobb will have like like a weird like back to scarf or something that makes him look like suave as hell still somehow. But I expect we'll see him. I don't think we'll see him yet. I think we're more likely to see um, like some additional Mandalorians again. I think maybe new Mandalorians, that's more likely to be something that would show up in the next couple episodes. Um I'm trying to think of who maybe like yeah because I could I can see Bo wanting to go and and if she's not going to tell Din because now that you bring it up I think that's actually probably true I don't think she will tell Din no um, then but she, who will she tell she'll want to tell somebody um, is this the way that they bring in Sabine as kind of like an introduction to Rebels mm. uh, and sorry into the Ahsoka show um, also kind of linking up the Rebels Ahsoka Mandalorian triangle so that people can be prepared for that show um, but also the one who gave bow the dark saber and also some like a mandalorian so very relevant um yeah that that, that could make sense i would say sabine uh, being a familiar character to the audience but not necessarily a familiar character to the show would be my next bet how about you for returning or um other existing in the star wars universe characters that we could see next i mean those are the big ones that jump to mind the only other guy i think we're due to see uh periodically through the season and uh, forgive me i don't remember his name but the x-wing pilot who's from king's kim's convenience who we always say seems like a big star wars fan we'll see him in no time for sure yes uh, he is a huge star wars fan um paul sung hoon lee right um and he was also at the premiere and we saw him in the in the trailer and yeah. so he's like he's a slam dunk yeah because we're gonna go to hosni and prime or coruscant um so that's that's something we've seen in the trailers we haven't seen yet. And we also saw um, the, a bunch of Mandalorians do like that kind of like jump out of a, uh, right. a ship and shoot onto the surface of Navarro in their yeah, jetpacks. Yeah. So those two sequences have to happen. So we're going back to Navarro in some capacity. Grief Cargas I've heard in half the season. Oh, wow. Okay. Because he so was kind of sidelined a little bit last year. He wasn't in it a ton. Yeah, I think he's directed the only episode he was in last season, whereas he's directing, I think, one this season, but in four. So that's good. Um, and then there's Gideon, which I think we'll, we'll see at some point, maybe briefly, sooner than later. Yeah, I've got a feeling Gideon's going to be saved, similar to the way he was saved in season one. I don't think we'll see Gideon until maybe like episode six of this okay. season. I think they're going to hold on to him a little bit. Christopher Lloyd's another one that I'm waiting to see. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that he plays um, uh, like an, an an elder of the um, the uh, children of the watch cult. 
Love it. I for, he, totally forgot about Christopher Lloyd. That's going to be great. Yeah. And so, but if he, if he's wearing a, a helmet, then we will just have to recognize him by voice at the start. Uh, I'll be honest for the smallest of moments. And this is going to sound ridiculous. I thought, is that Christopher Lloyd's eye? Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> That'd be disappointing if that's all we got from Christopher Lloyd. That would be deeply disappointing. That was back when I was still thought like, oh, is it more than just an eye? I thought maybe that there was like a little like decrepit man in there, but no. I have an interesting Grogu question for you because we're on first word watch. Um, suppose at Star Wars Celebration, they announced like more details about the Damon Lindelof movie. And indeed, we're going to have uh, Daisy Ridley's return as a more wizened Rey Skywalker, uh, like a, a more sage Jedi who deals with other force users within the galaxy and say hypothetically i think this is probably unlikely but hypothetically they're going to feature uh an older adult grogu who would you cast as the voice actor for an adult grogu do we get frank oz for heritage reasons or is it an opportunity to like bring in somebody else entirely i think you have to bring in somebody else um or you could get Frank Oz and use Reese Beecher uh, in the future. Uh, they've got a pretty good relationship with them. And it worked so well with Vader and could kind of work on pretty well. well he doesn't have to sound like Yoda. I just mean he's a good uh, car uh, character voice artist and he could do Absolutely. something else. But it also is consistent with the species and wouldn't speak in the same way as Yoda. Right. But right. could provide that similar familiarity for us. So that it's like, oh, it still sounds like Yoda, but it, it's not talking weird. Yeah. So this is like really weird. But we, I think we as an audience would really appreciate that. And like, um, is it Shirley Henderson? Is that um, that's is that Moaning Myrtle? That's it. Uh, okay. I, I know who you're anyway. talking about. She's she's the uh, the Anzellans. Yes, exactly. And so like she does that whole species because it just kind of makes sense that they're going to have that voice. So I could kind of see that being the case. But then Bryce Dallas Howard did Yaddle. So oh, yeah. they could get goddamn anybody to be Grogu. They could get like um, they get Morgan Freeman. Uh, I think that would be a. <laughs> it is Shirley Henderson, by the way. Who who? Okay. Uh, yeah, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that would be fascinating. I mean, it has to be. Uh, it has. It would be a challenge because it could seem very hokey for a, an older Grogu to have like a regular human speaking voice. Um, no, it would need to be modified in some way, like. Could be like they could get Ben Schwartz, uh, who's like does a lot of stuff yeah. for Star Wars. And I think he should. Effect. I think he should have some kind of like Din Djarin tick too. Like he should say Dank Farrick a lot or something. Like think little like verbal quirks that he picked up from his dad. That would be really funny. But he would only be, um, well, he'd be like seventy five maybe. Um, so that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, terms I guess he'd of being be a, able... a, a teenager or something then, or just like a young man. Yeah, we know Yoda started training uh, Jedi when he was 100. So mm. they exponentially age. And um, it's a good, like some people theorize, and I think this is a really solid theory, that the reason why Grogu in particular is so late in his speaking is because of all the trauma that he went through with being basically a prisoner. We don't know what he was doing for. Yeah, maybe nobody was talking to him. 30 years yeah. he was just in that maybe in that pram for 30 years yeah. just sitting there and like he would occasionally get like a little nutrient paste um which is basically like the freaking narkina prisons or worse right but uh, it would be i don't know maybe they would get um i'm gonna assume they would get somebody who's already in the family mm -hmm. maybe like a, maybe bill Hader. i think he did some bb8 sounds um I, I i'm confident they'd be able to pick the right choice that's it's rare when they mess it up like lady proxima that one one sounds ridiculous. 
Um, but it, like Jar Jar, of course, there's usually and all the Nemoidians, um, but in general, Star Wars is pretty good. Do you want to do Star Wars news? Is there anything we absolutely have to mention? We've gone. Um, uh, we've had a lot to say tonight. Yeah, we have. It was a, just such a, an exciting episode. Uh, there's not a ton to say uh, other than Bad Batch was also really good this week, and that's a, that's always nice. Uh, it's been kind of back and forth. One episode feels like filler, next episode's good. And so uh, this season is evidence that it, the seasons don't need to be as long, but it's 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 still good. Not quite as good as season one, but, but pretty good. Uh, they're announcing some people that are involved with, like, the acolytes, some of the directors, and 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 they're also announcing a lot of things that are going to be announced at Star Wars Celebration. So they're announcing panels, and one of them in particular being a filmmakers panel. Mm. So they will have the people who are associated with Star Wars live action filmmaking, which really we don't know for sure with a ton of confidence who those people are. Uh, and so that'll lock in almost definitely Damon Lindelof. And uh, I forget... Charmaine something Hanoi, I believe, uh, is the director for that. Um, it's and so there was a rumor that came out that said that's projects safe, okay. um, that they're um, locked in, but that the Feige project that he was doing with Michael Waldron is not in development okay. anymore. It's probably dead. Because, what about Taika? And that Patty Jenkins is dead, but that Taika is, is still in development. And that he has written a prominent part for himself. Ah. Um, and so it's believed that those are the ones that are moving forward. Uh, that rumor came out like the day before the panels were announced that there was going to be a filmmakers panel. So that makes a lot of sense to me that that rumor is an accurate one. It was, I think, deadline. So that would mean that the only ones in development are really just, I think, two movies. Um, maybe a surprise done by like maybe... Favreau's got a, a movie in the works or something. Yeah. I mean, by the way, Taika Waititi has done voice acting in Star Wars. He himself would look great in a Star Wars movie. He's got a good look. Like, yep. I, I would love to see that. Yep, I'd be okay with that. I would want the part to be small. I, I think that, and this is something that a lot of people have pointed out, Taika is best when Taika doesn't have control over everything. Yeah. Uh, Taika just makes one thing when Taika has full control. And it's what we do in the shadows in different slightly different styles when he has full control like this like uh, apparently thor love and thunder was just like just a joke the entire time and okay like, like, it, but jojo rabbit was like a highly emotional and hilarious uh rich culture commentary and he made a movie called yeah. the hunt for the wilder people which fully written and directed by taika and that okay, is a good. stunning movie i actually think he's 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 quite diverse in his talents but yes in in genre high budget blockbuster filmmaking he has a formula. Mm. But the hunt for the wilder people, I think is a really good example of why they brought him in in the first place. Yeah. And we also, I think a lot of people forget have evidence of Taika direction. Now Taika writing is, is we'll wait and see, but like we should be more confident in what we would get from Taika. Uh, we got the great um, like Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally uh, moments right. with the stormtroopers, And so like that kind of humor can work. And I'm sure he wrote that. Although Favreau wrote the episode, I'm sure he wrote those little quips. So uh, just a little bit of that movie update. We're going to hear more when celebration happens. That's uh, near. Uh, it's almost like a guarantee. We'll get an Ahsoka trailer. It just mm. seems like too obvious this time, but I can't imagine we'll get, any other trailers? I just don't know what. Maybe it's maybe a small sneak peek sizzle reel of Skeleton Crew, um, but no real updates on that. And yeah, that's kind of the 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 tiny little uh, 
news update. Well, and I don't know a lot about the specifics, but I know Iger was making comments this week about, in particular, Marvel, and not necessarily wanting to scale back. I don't think he'd use that phrase because they would love to print it in headlines. But I I think the, the phrase he used is uh, going back to the well. And what he means is like, maybe we don't need to make three plus movies about every individual character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like maybe we're wringing our, our cloth dry and we can go in some other directions. And so I don't know if he has quite the same influence over Star Wars, except for that he is everyone's boss. Um, Star Wars has already had its growing pains and maybe it's due for its next golden age as long as they're not willing to just like make a bunch of shit. They're making, and, and instead they make a little bit of shit and it not be shitty at all. Yeah. And I think the Kathleen Kennedy of it all is, is a key factor. How much longer does she want to do this? Mm. Uh, there was rumors that Indy five is her last real project. Mm. Um, is it going to be that she's just going to be working like the ones that are currently in development that we see in celebration? Will those be the Kathleen Kennedy era? Like, what is the direction of Star Wars moving forward? Is she going to be locked in for another five years? My guess is Iger wants to reset everything so that he doesn't need to come back to the table. And if Lucasfilm, one of his prized acquisitions that he's just absolutely exploded the value of, Mm -hmm. if he feels like he's leaving that in unstable hands, he will change the hands to make sure that he doesn't have to come back to this Disney table to fix it again. So there's a chance that he may go and and do something that way. And if Kathleen's thinking about leaving that he encourages her to, um, but I don't know, he's only got like a year and a half left. Uh, I expect that he's already made those kind of impacts. I think we'll see at star Wars celebration, whatever Bob Iger's intent was with star Wars. I think he probably has already put it, into motion he has to because he's already groomed the wrong uh heir to his throne and that can't happen again so i'm i'm pretty sure on his current contract his number one role has to be creating new people to take over well yeah his number one job is to do a better job replacing himself yeah yeah Um, but then of course also all the other things that he's got to set up and i think he'll probably sell hulu soon too Um, but anyway that's a that's a bob agger topic we want to hear your thoughts on this episode uh 18 is it of the mandalorian it's called the minds of mandalore it was really good uh send us your thoughts tweet at recorder 66 or email recorder 66 podcast at gmail.com if you have any predictions for what's to come in the season we want to hear that as well uh be sure to rate and review on your preferred podcast app or if you're joining us on youtube be sure to like and subscribe and until we are together again may the force be with you